Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? And while your heads are bowed now and your eyes are closed, as uh, we like to say, would you just say this to yourself? This message today is most likely for me. These words of Jesus are most likely, especially for me today. Say that. Believe that and listen intently until you come to the place where the Spirit can say, and this is it. This is the word that is especially for you today. And then grab a hold of that and claim it. Heavenly Father, your word, all of your words are living and powerful. But we recognize on any given day, any given moment, your Holy Spirit can choose one or two of them and especially just make them seem so important to us. Father, I pray that everyone in this room this morning will have that experience with something that comes out of your word, something that is shared by way of testimony and admonition that we will all go home saying, that was for me today, if not for anybody else. So, Father, let your word loose in our presence today, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for the sake of his glorious church. Amen. All across America tonight, tens of thousands of households will be besieged by those pretending to be someone other than who they really are. Those pretenders are properly on this day called what? Trick-or-treaters. They do not look like themselves. Their goal is to not be recognized by anyone. Now, back in the day when I was trick-or-treating, our territory was pretty local. And a good costume was necessary to fool the person on whose porch you stood. It was probably the porch of a relative. And, of course, if all five of us Michael's kids went together, the math itself would give us away. Our red-letter words today find Jesus dealing with a similar situation except instead of trick-or-treaters, he was dealing with what he called false prophets. He told his followers that these false prophets will definitely come in costume and that you would probably not be able to tell who they were just by looking. They would need to be carefully inspected This would indeed be an inspection like no other. 
the inspection to determine, is this person standing before me a false prophet, a false teacher, one of the ones that Jesus said, watch out for. There's no other inspection in our life, anything like that. And yet it's one that regularly needs to be made. It's imperative that these false prophets be identified because they are dangerous. So here then is the red letter scripture. It's Matthew chapter 7, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 15 to 17, and, and then also verse 20. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. That's their costume. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Inspect them. Check them out. It'll be easy to tell once you get to see the fruit. That's what he's saying. Now, this is an incredibly important warning. You see, false teachers, false prophets, they come dressed like true servants of Christ. They do not reveal their true identity. They might even have themselves fooled. The Apostle Paul found Jesus' warning to play out in his ministry. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter. He says, Satan himself masquerades. That's what's happening today. A masquerade going on tonight as people come in all various kinds of costumes and outfits. Satan himself is familiar with that. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. There was a time that's what Satan was, a glorious being in the presence of God, perhaps the highest of all the angels that God had created. He was that, but he was and is that no longer. So now he masquerades. He presents himself as an angel of light and truth. And Paul says, if he does that, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, so it is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Now the question is, how good of a masquerade do they put on? How good of a false front do they give? If they're masquerading as servants of righteousness, servants of Jesus Christ, servants of the Most High God, some of them are probably better than others, and those that are better than others probably fool people into believing they are exactly what they're masquerading as, a servant of Christ. Now, it's not surprising if Satan himself does that, He doesn't let people see him as he really is. He didn't allow Eve to see him as he really is. He took the guise of a serpent, a beautiful creature at that point, to approach her in the garden. So it's not surprising that those who are allied with him would do the same. Not surprising at all, but potentially devastating. 
Satan's ferocious wolves devour vulnerable and gullible sheep. So therefore, we must inspect. We must be aware of. We must give uh, a little question when somebody comes speaking powerfully, forcefully, even compellingly in the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, the fact they're speaking in my name doesn't automatically make them legit. You're going to have to watch out for them. You're going to have to examine them. What is their fruit? You need to inspect the speaker, the teacher. We must inspect and recognize and avoid and then refute the teachings of those who are not of Christ. And so as we do that, here's one key question, a key inspection question. Is this biblical? When anybody says anything to you of a Christian nature, presenting a Christian truth, they would say, you need to ask yourself, is this biblical? That's a different question is, is this logical? Is this desirable? Is this sensible? Is this familiar? Is it biblical? Is this a clear expression of biblical truth, what I'm hearing? Can this be supported by Scripture? Jesus says we need to inspect everything we hear according to that standard. Because a lot of things that are not biblical can strike our ears favorably. Like, oh, I wish that were true. So that's true? Wow, that's awesome. Is it biblical? Now, the reason we ask that key inspection question is because of what I'm calling today this key inspection principle. This is a principle I've gotten more sure of in the last years of my life. It's a divine principle that believers ignore to their shame and to their loss. And here it is. A key inspection principle. God cannot. Is there anything God cannot do? Well, yeah. He cannot sin. Here's something else I'd say God cannot and will not do. God cannot and will not accommodate his plans for man, his revealed word or will in the scripture, he will not accommodate his plans for man to false and misleading notions formulated by man. Let me read that again. God cannot and will not accommodate his plans for man to false and misleading notions formulated by man. Our Father, Son, and Spirit triumvirate never say among themselves, this conversation never takes place in heaven. Father, Son, and Spirit looking down at at the world of men and saying this, so they're saying it wrong. So they are teaching things that aren't exactly right. So they have messed things up a bit in their minds. 
we will bless them anyhow. When they get to heaven, they will get it all straightened out. We will accommodate divine truth to their human error and just keep pressing on. I'm saying Father, Son, and Spirit never have a conversation like that. God will not do that. God does not say, it doesn't matter what kind of screwy notion you have in your head, I'll bless you anyway. Even if you believe that's exactly what the Bible teaches, and yet the Bible doesn't teach it at all, I can kind of work with that anyway. I can, just like Jesus, accommodated himself to the human race. He left the glories of heaven, came down to, he accommodated himself, he got down to our level. God does not accommodate himself to our level of error. And just say, oh, who? it really doesn't matter they got that backwards. It really doesn't matter they're teaching that wrong. It really doesn't matter that they're, they're living and making decisions based upon things that aren't biblical. We'll just, we'll just bless them anyway. We'll just work with them anyway. God doesn't do that. I'm more convinced than ever that that is so. You see, our Savior himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life, would never say such a thing. It doesn't matter if it's exactly true or not. He is the truth. It's an offense to him to to see his own practicing, teaching, accepting error. The Father of Lights himself would never sign on to such a practice. God the Father would never make peace with any doctrine of darkness. And the spirit of truth who companions every born-again child of God cringes at the prospect of being dragged along by someone who is walking in error, by one who is denying and possibly even desecrating key biblical truth. Now, believe me, the devil and those who are his understand this principle better than do many believers. You see, the devil knows it matters. The devil knows God cannot and will not bless error and false teaching. Even though many, many Christians would say, well, what what difference does it make, you know? The devil knows it makes a big difference. God will not, cannot bless people who are walking in error, who are deliberately promoting things that are not true, that are biblically false. The devil and those who are his know that one way to bring believers individually and collectively to a place of ineffectiveness is to introduce doctrinal error into the equation. They know that God cannot and will not accommodate his plans to man to the false and misleading notions formulated by man. And so they entice man, especially born-again men and women, to start formulating notions that are not at all biblically sound. And so they appear like false teachers. Teaching biblical truth, they would say. Teaching things that that honor God, they would say, that they know do not honor God at all. 
The devil knows the Bible pretty well. Probably better most than, than, than any of us in this room. He knows what's biblical. He knows what's not biblical. And so when he can present something that is false, he knows it's false or twisted or skewed just a little bit, just enough to get you off the path that God would want you to be on, get you to accept a notion. He encourages all of us to let our minds, our creative minds, work on on spiritual things and come up with ideas about how the Christian life ought to go or what God would permit or what God doesn't care about, where we have leeway to just kind of make it up as we go along. He's involved in in getting people, born-again people, to accept notions that God cannot honor. And when those notions are accepted and our lives begin to be patterned according to them, God's ability to bless us is diminished, if not completely ceased. God does not accommodate himself to error of men. This morning, I'd like to just share with you three current realities of this kind of situation. Through the 2,000 years since Christ was crucified, there there could be hundreds and hundreds of hundreds. You read through church history, in the first century, there were already people putting out notions that were unbiblical understandings of the person of Jesus Christ, understandings of what it meant when he died on the cross, things they were promoting that were not biblical at all, and the church of Christ suffered. Through the Middle Ages, there were times when the the vast worldwide, Roman Empire-wide at least, church was so far off base from the truth that there was no blessing that God could give that great organization at all. Vast errors were promoted. In our day, there are just three that I'd want to talk about this morning. An entire sermon could be preached. An entire book could be written on each one of these three. So if you think I'm straying into the area where I'm preaching a whole sermon on either one, just wave your hand. Just say, just because it can be preached on each one, we don't need three sermons this morning. But we'll just get a, get a taste of it and let you know what we're talking about and let the Holy Spirit just really work on your mind and heart as a result this week. But these three that we're going to mention this morning, over the last few years, I'd I'd have to say for me, not being a super passionate guy, I've gotten pretty passionate about each one of them. I feel the weakened state of the typical American Christian is because of them. American Christians by the tens of thousands have fallen prey to the various ancients agents of Satan, standing on the front porches of our churches and homes, pretending to be something they are not, and being received as the very thing they're pretending to be, a servant of Christ who can be trusted. And many of us, and others around the world as well, have been tricked 
and have thus missed out on, if I could say it, the treats that God really has for those who are his. Treats administered by the Holy Spirit into the life of the individual and into the life of the gathered congregation. So let's begin. Here's doctrinal trick one. Denying biblical reality with regard to Jesus. Denying biblical reality with regard to Jesus. Now, this has been part of the false teaching from almost day one. Since the day of Pentecost itself. Denying the deity of Christ. Denying the miracles of Christ. Denying the resurrection of Christ. Denying the return of Christ. These are denials and challenges to our faith made by the opponents of our faith. The the ones who would claim to not believe the Bible. But these denials have been out there. And even believers have tried to somehow come to grips. Well, it really doesn't matter if Jesus physically rose from the dead. The important thing is that he spiritually rose and his teaching lived on. And that's what really counts. It doesn't really matter if Jesus was actually God. The point is he was the greatest man who ever lived. He was pure. He was humble. He was loving. He was kind. He was everything that any human being ought to desire to be. That's what really counts. And a lot of folks nod their head. Doesn't really matter whether he was God. I mean, he probably, his followers kind of promoted him up to that level just to give the church a boost as it got going. See, there are people wearing clerical robes saying that stuff. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if his miracles happen. I mean, heaven's sakes, we're, we're more educated than that. I mean, miracles turning water into wine and creating fish out of an empty lake. Walking on water. Raising the dead. These are stories that are designed to communicate the power of Jesus, the impressive person he was. We don't have to believe he actually did those things. See, denying the biblical reality with regard to Jesus has been around from day one of the Christian church. And all these accusations, all these denials need to be intelligently and biblically addressed. Why do we believe? Why do we have confidence in all those things concerning the person of Jesus Christ? There are those godly men and women who have devoted their entire lives to developing proper rebuttals to those attacks upon Christ. They're called apologists. And their books are called apologetics. Letting us know Not only does the Bible say it, see, that ought to be enough, right? If the Bible says it, why do we need to come up with, you know, great arguments to say the Bible's right? The point of it is, if the Bible says it, that ought to settle it right there. And the Bible says it. However, it's not those arguments I want us to think about today. I don't think it's any of those arguments that have really destroyed or weakened the state of American Christianity over the last 50 years. 
I'd like to focus our attention today on two notions, two notions of men that have been captured by many in this country and in the Western countries of the world that have led to two denials that believers themselves have found attractive and the devil himself has found to be wonderfully destructive. Here's the first one. I just call it this, the Jesus with me notion. This is a notion of men because the Bible doesn't talk anything about this. So it's a notion of men. And it leads to a denial of Jesus' heavenly ministry that the Bible does talk about. This is a notion, the Jesus with me notion, that is placed in the mind of the believer, now take a deep breath, by the devil himself. If it's not biblical, then how did he get here? It either arose out of human flesh, our own nature, our own desires, to kind of picture it the way we want to picture it, or it's been placed there by a false prophet, by maybe even the devil himself, to, to set the, and turn the thinking of a believer in an unbiblical direction. It really is a suggestion. It's come about as a way of how to live the Christian life. It's an attractive one. Born-again people by maybe the millions have accepted it wholeheartedly in this country over the last 50 years, in part because we've been such a Jesus-focused people, because we've been such an evangelistic culture that... We've been so concerned with getting the lost saved that all we've ever done is talk about the Savior. Just talk about the Savior. And if all you talk about the Savior, all you talk about is the Savior, then your answer for everything must be found in the Savior. And so therefore, the Savior becomes, you have to have a notion that goes bigger than the Bible to explain how the Savior can cover all the bases in your Christian life. And one of those is, Jesus is the God with me. And the notion goes like this, how to live the Christian life? Live as though Jesus never left. Live your life just as if you were one of his disciples Walk in the dusty streets of Galilee 2,000 years ago. Live your life as though he never left. Live as though you become one of his own chosen disciples. And imagine yourself walking those dusty roads right along with him. Every moment of the day, imagine him walking with you and guiding you and protecting you and providing for you and talking with you. Talk regularly to others about your personal relationship with Jesus. And give them the impression that that's all that matters. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. And and, and when they say, what does that mean? 
You say, well, he's right here with me. I can talk to him anytime. He guides me. He directs me. Read the Gospels and you'll see how that personal relationship worked down in situation after situation. And even though my life isn't becoming part of the Gospel account, my life is an extension of those Gospel accounts. And it brings me such peace and joy to know that Jesus is right here with me. Untold numbers of believers have bought into that notion of the Christian life. And as you know already, you could certainly assume from what I've said already, there's a big problem with that approach to the Christian life. The first is, it's biblically wrong. It's just biblically wrong. And so it's the first thing we're going to talk about today, mention, where we wonder, will God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit accommodate themselves to that wrong understanding of the Christian life and just bless us anyway? Even though we say, it's Jesus walking with me, it's Jesus talking with me, it's Jesus that I talk to, it's Jesus that I count on, do Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, it's not a problem. If they want to believe it's Jesus, fine. At least they're trying to live the Christian life. At least they're trying to rely upon God's goodness and grace. You see, the problem is, one, it's biblically wrong because Jesus said to his own disciples, I'm not going to be here anymore. So, who are we talking about? And why are we talking that way saying that someone is with us who's not here. We have to do some mental gymnastics. Well, he's here kind of in a spiritual sense, or I can imagine him right here. I can read the Gospels and project my current life right into those circumstances. And what's wrong with that? Because, I mean, Jesus is my friend. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. He's the answer for everything. And so I make him everything. And especially my companion. Well, the problem is, of course, it's biblically wrong. Also, it denies, it ignores Jesus' present heavenly ministry. If I picture Jesus with me 24-7, I'm certainly not picturing Jesus doing anything in heaven. It's like when I get to heaven, he'll be there because I guess he comes with me. But trying to put these two things together, I just don't think about that much. Heaven is where Jesus will be when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. But here's something Paul said. You see, that Jesus with me notion has no place, no way to apply this counsel from the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul said to the Colossians. In uh, the letter he wrote to them, chapter 3, verse 1, he said this, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Well, I thought if I wanted to set my heart on Christ, I just have to look right beside me. I just have to imagine him there. But my heart can do that. My mind can do that. But Paul didn't say that. He didn't even act like Jesus was in our earthly picture here. He says, set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The very fact that he's seated there says it's kind of a permanent spot. He's in heaven. He's been exalted, the Bible tells us, to the highest place, given a name that's above every name and has been radically altered from the lowered human being that he was when he walked on the earth. In fact, John the Apostle, when he saw Jesus in a trance, in a vision, and saw Jesus as he truly is right now, John the Apostle couldn't even handle it. He just fell flat on his face. He said as though he were dead in the presence of the Almighty God. Paul says that's where he is. Seeing Jesus as he is today and doing what he's doing today is intended to bring great joy and comfort to the believer. Believer to know that Jesus, you might say, is on the job, on our behalf, doing things that make our life in this world just possible and fruitful. He is our great high priest, forever making sure that our sins are forgiven. He is our intercessor, keeping open the door right into his Father's presence, making sure that the Father is always available to us. He is the one who he's in, is even preparing for that glorious marriage feast of the Lamb someday. Looking unto Jesus. That's what we should be doing. That's what Paul says we should do. Look, set your eyes, your mind on him. We had a series of messages that you can still find at our church website. Even the video messages or there's a an ebook there that you can download just called Looking Unto Jesus, and it identifies 10 or 11 current day ministries that your Savior Jesus Christ is doing on your behalf, and every one of them is designed to make your present day better. And for you to realize that as a Christian, the Almighty Son of God is doing this kind of thing for you right now. To keep Jesus here on earth in your mind is to lose out on all of that understanding, all of that blessing, and it's to diminish him from the glorious ministry the Bible says he has. Now here's the second one. Not only the notion that Jesus is with me, which is a construction of men themselves, but how about the Jesus-only notion? Now, theologically, not too many Christians say that right out, but effectively, it becomes that way. Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. It can wind up being a denial of the Father and the Son, or the Spirit. It's a notion and an expression that puts the believer on a very slippery slope, because Jesus is not all we need. Jesus has played a role that we desperately need, but there are things that Jesus has not been assigned to do that we desperately need. Things the Father brings to us in a relationship. Things the Holy Spirit brings to us in a relationship. We need the Father and the Spirit. And to live as though we don't does great damage to the relational life that God would have us experience. It also, listen to this, it also runs the risk 
if I'm thinking Jesus is all I need. He's everything to me. It also runs the risk of discounting and grieving to say nothing of disrespecting two members of the Godhead. In most American churches, we talk about Jesus. In most American churches, the whole point of the morning service is to bring people to make that decision for Christ. And if that's the point of the service, then the focus of the service is Jesus. You need to be saved, and here is the Savior. Not much talk about the Father. Not much talk about the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the church mentions those two, probably in some pretty good-sounding statements, but the reality of the church is you could go and visit such a place and never really be brought face-to-face with the idea that there is a Father and there is a Spirit because it's all about Jesus there. And yet they call themselves a a church, and they call themselves a biblically-based church, and yet a lot of what is biblically given is not biblically received and passed on there. When, When there's such a focus upon Jesus, it can become Jesus only. That is an unbiblical position. Jesus said, for instance, in John 16, 7, he said to his disciples, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, and you could understand there, unless you let me go, the companion will not come to you. The spirit of truth, later on he said that I will send, I will ask the Father who will send. He will be with you. He will guide you into truth. He will remind you of the things I've taught. If I don't leave, he cannot come. If you don't let me leave, he cannot come, at least effectively. Because you're not even acknowledging his presence and his purpose. Whenever we do that, we grieve and possibly, let me use the horrible word, we might even possibly be blaspheming against the Holy Spirit to deny his proper biblical role within the church and within the life of the believer. And Jesus himself said that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. Jesus also said, now in John chapter 17, verse 3 and 6, he said, this is eternal life. This is what this life that I died to provide is about. This is eternal life that they might know you. He's praying to God the Father. That they, the believers, might know you, the only true God. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. Oh, there's so much truth about God the Father in the, in the Word of God. We spent a whole month, actually we spent almost a whole year, 30-some weeks, going through the various attributes of God the Father as found in the Scripture so that we might have an understanding of exactly what is the relationship we are to have with our Heavenly Father when we've been born again into His family through faith in Jesus Christ by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in us. What is God like? 
Jesus said, if you really come to know my Father, you will have eternal life. You will have life like you can't even imagine. Satisfying life, peaceful life, joyful life, purposeful life. But if we don't even think about the Father, think of all that we're missing out on. And we're saying, well, you know, I got all that in Jesus. No, you're faking yourself out. You're trying to imagine yourself into a vital Christian life when you really don't have the vital Christian life. If there's not a component of relationship with God the Father, if there's not the sense of the personal presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, it doesn't matter how much you try to finagle it in your mind, what you're living is not the Christian life as the Bible presents it. And it's a shame false teaching in this country. I hope in this little congregation, we're way past that. We're way past that. So when I say you, I'm talking to you who are watching, you know, from the other side of the world. But sometimes we can forget what we know. And most of us, most of our lives have been built on, immersed in, that Jesus is the only one I need to worry about perspective. Jesus is everything. And the father is kind of the, well, you know, he is the judge of the universe and you've got to watch how you behave because he might get you. Or the Holy Spirit, wow, that's just a touchy topic and we try not to cover that. And then we wonder why the value, the quality of our Christian life is just kind of, it's like it's just between our ears what we know, but it, it really doesn't change us inside much. And that's because God will not accommodate him. The Holy Spirit will not accommodate himself to people who are living a lie and just give them the blessings of God anyway. That's what we're saying here. That's why Jesus said, beware, watch out for false prophets. Because their whole, their whole desire and the end result of their work is they devour the sheep. And they keep the sheep weak and they keep the sheep confused, and they keep the sheep from actually enjoying the life that God desires for them. The Spirit is the one who brings the Christian life to life. To ignore his presence is to undermine God's plan, and it sabotages our earthly life. The Father is the ultimate destination for every child of God. To know him as he has revealed himself to be, is the ultimate knowledge in the universe. Better to know God than to have a PhD in chemistry. Better to know God than to know the ins and outs of the stock market and be making money hand over fist. The knowledge of God is the most important knowledge, the ultimate knowledge in all the universe. And when we know him, Jesus said, our souls find joy and rest in him. The devil, of course, knows that. And the devil would seek to get every Christian, if they're Christians already, he can't can't take away their salvation. But his goal would be, if you're saved, to get us to cozy up to Jesus, to the exclusion of a relationship with the Father, or the spirit. And it's like a three-cylinder car running on one cylinder. It just isn't the real thing. 
And so as a result, Christians can imagine their lives to be pretty good even though they are not experiencing the real thing at all. Don't listen for his voice. Don't fall for his tricks. Well, here's the second one. We'll just go quickly through this one. In addition to getting us denying biblical reality with regard to Jesus, Satan would seek to get us denying biblical reality with regard to man. That is our human condition, who we are. And he would say, God would rather have man happy than holy. Here's one of the teachings of the false teachers. Just put it there. God would rather have you happy than holy. Don't raise your hand, but how many would say amen to that? How many of you believe you can actually be both? You could be happy and holy. Or is holiness just automatically the, the absence of, uh, and, and the enemy of happiness? The world out there, the notions of men would say, well, if push came to shove, certainly God wants me happy, for heaven's sakes. God's a God of joy. God's a God of delight. God's the creator. God's the planner. He would want me to be fulfilled, to be happy, to meet my needs and all of that. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that some people call being holy that actually are just absolutely contrary to what I call being happy. And there are teachers today that would say the Bible's an old book. The Bible was written for a long ago age. God certainly understands that we live in today's age. We, we have needs today that people maybe didn't have before. We have understandings today people didn't have before. God would certainly want us to be happy and content and fulfilled and have our needs met. And, and that's a notion, right? Can't find that anywhere in the Bible, but that's a notion that is very attractive today, even within the church of Jesus Christ. This is a lie of the devil. God would rather have men happy than holy. In many ways, it's the lie that underlies all the lies that the devil's devil's ever told. It underlies the, the lie that he told Eve in the garden. This fruit that God says you cannot have is actually better fruit than what he said you can have. And God says you're going to die, but you're not going to die. You're just going to explode with greater life than ever. And part of it would be, God would want you happy here. At least I know you want to be happy. Your husband would want you to be happy. And so take it and do it. Holy is always a restrictive thing. And sometimes holiness, terms of holiness, just have to change as as the circumstances of the world change. But human happiness is is forever a constant. We know what it is to be happy. So go for it. Because God loves you so much, God would would rather have you happy than holy. Now here's the truth I'd share with you. Get ready for this. God would rather have you cry every step of your way to heaven than laugh 
every step of your way to hell. Would you? Would you rather cry, go through the tough times of life, and maybe have sorrow in your heart every single day until you cross heaven's portal, rather than have happiness and delight and joy and cross the portal to hell? Here's what the scripture says. Book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. John says, he who has an ear, let him hear. I'm just checking. How many here have an ear? Some of you have two. Everyone who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance, I guess. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. We would rather those verses read like this. If anyone is to go into captivity, God will keep you free. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, God will protect you from that guy with the sword. But John just says, let's face it. This is a broken, fallen world. Evil abounds frequently, and sometimes evil just controls uh, large portions of this world. And he says, when push comes to shove, what's going to happen is going to happen. God doesn't promise everyone protection. God doesn't promise everyone health. God doesn't promise anyone those things. And so John just says, if anyone is going to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. It's like saying, if that's the way your life is going to roll out, if anyone's going to die of a terrible disease, they're going to die of the terrible disease. That's what life is like in a fallen, broken world. And he says this, the fact that we're living our lives in such an environment, this calls for patient endurance. Hanging in there. And faithfulness on the part of the saints. That's biblical. Even if we're not hilariously happy in the midst of all those circumstances. We might really say, what does happiness have to do with it? Faithfulness. Enduring, trusting God, showing faith when, when our eyes are unable to see more than a day into the future. That's what the Christian life is, trusting God completely and knowing that even in the midst of the, the dying by a sword, the Holy Spirit can bring to me calmness and joy and peace because those are spiritually wrought by the Spirit when we are walking with him. Patient endurance and faithfulness. That's what this life frequently requires of a Christian. And this world often is opposed to those who trust in Christ. Well, now just one more thing, a third doctrinal trick of Satan. Uh, This has some real attractiveness to many. Number three, Satan would seek to get believers denying biblical reality with regard to the church itself. With regard to the church. What is a church? Why is the church? 
And here's one answer being given in our world today, being experienced in our world today. The church is a spiritual version of the best the world has to offer. Whatever you can do, we can do better. We can do anything better than you. You ever say that as a kid? Sometimes school sports teams, years ago, their cheers were something like that. Whatever you can do, we can do better. We can do anything better than you. Somewhere along the line, the American church especially seems to have taken up that childish chant. Our music can be louder, our singers more tattooed, our dress style more casual, our gatherings larger, our message more sellable, our buildings more beautiful than anything they have out there in the world. Many of the great churches today have been built around celebrity and notoriety. They've been based upon entertainment values and emotional impact. Whatever gets to stir people, we'll take a shot at. Patterned after successful corporate methods and strategies. There are church growth conferences that have been held in this country over the last 30 years where the main speakers to this assemblage of maybe three or 4,000 pastors who came together to see how this great church did what they did and how they can be a great church themselves when a good number of the speakers on the platform are not Christian leaders at all. They're secular writers of books on leadership and promotion, and, and these pastors are learning how to do it with the best techniques that the world has. And if they can build it over here, you can build it here. Take what the world has come up with and do it even better. And so then sometimes you look for leaders who are just like the CEOs of a lot of great American or worldwide corporations, and you find out they have some of the same problems that the leaders of the great corporation has. The church becomes merely a spiritual version of the best the world has to offer. Now the truth is on that, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons or methods we fight with are not the weapons or the methods of the world. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is a body of believers. It's a family of faith. It's a company of the committed. It's led by pastors and shepherds, not by corporate trained CEOs who are willing to pay the price of growth. There are false teachers right in the midst of us, of the church as a whole, and they're passing off things that are not biblical, and they are not honoring to God, and therefore they're not blessed by God. And then we wonder why the general state of affairs among the Christian community seems to be at a low ebb. Morally, uh, spiritually, in every way. Jesus, years ago, said, watch out for this stuff. 
There will be those who come like dressed in sheep's clothing. They'll be right in your midst. They'll be selling the books. They'll be giving the videos and you'll be watching and taking it in. And they are actually destructive to the cause. Final thought just says wolves in disguise. People can be easy to be taken in. Easy to be led astray by them. Jesus says, inspect their fruit. The main question is, is it biblical? What they're saying, is it biblically so and sound? That's an inspection like no other and one that we need to be ready to make at all times. Even when we inspect ourselves, the things we believe to be true, and we ask the question, is it biblical? Is it biblical or is it some notion of men that I've incorporated into my life and I'm asking God to bless? Our Heavenly Father, these words that Jesus gave, he knew were necessary. False teachers are Anywhere truth is proclaimed, there is someone to deny it, someone to change it, someone to alter it. And Father, I pray that you might enable us individually, as a church, as a country of many, many, many Christians, to be able to resort back to the word of God and say, this is what God says. And Father, especially, let this country get back to where Father, Son, and Spirit are are embraced in their fullness. That Father, we may know you and begin to sense some of the beauty of eternal life. That we may yield ourselves absolutely to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior who came from heaven, who died for us. May we never lose our love and gratitude and appreciation and and surrender to him, but also realize that the God with us is the one who guides us every moment of the day. And may we sense his presence and hear his voice and desire to do his will. We ask this now in Jesus. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.